Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week, we're continuing our watch through of The Magicians, and we're talking about Season 2, Episode 3, Divine Elimination. Chris, can you give us a recap of what happens? The Beast's curse forces Quentin, Alice, Elliot, and Margot to all kill each other once they've sat on the thrones at Castle Whitespire. With Fen as the only other person able to help, Penny circumvents the curse by killing them all, then reviving them with adrenaline. Marina performs a ritual to summon Reynard. Suspicious, Marina goes home and sets up her wards, not realizing that she trapped herself in with Reynard. When Julie and the Beast finally break through to confront him, Penny teleports in to grab Martin and teleport him to Fillory so Alice can destroy the Beast. However, Julia grabs hold and comes along, and Quentin breaks their holding spell to keep her out of the attack's blast. This causes Alice's attack to miss, and Martin is only wounded. Quentin and Alice attempt to intercept him before he can heal himself the Wellspring. Ember confronts Martin and tells him that he's defecated in the Wellspring, rendering it useless. Of course. Penny teleports Julia back to Earth, and then she removes Professor Sunderland's chains from his wrists, causing the curse on his hands to fully return. The Beast injures Quentin and battles Alice, who gains the upper hand until she begins to lose the godly power from Ember's essence. She casts the Rhineman Ultra anyway, and transforms into a Niffin. Niffin Alice kills Martin, and turns on Elliot and Margot. Quentin releases his Keiko Demon, which kills the Niffin Alice. And then Julia returns to her apartment to find Marina's lifeless corpse and Reynard gone. Yeah, so this is why we're like, hey, it seems like the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> A lot happens, and, you know, we'll get into it. So yeah. what, what are your magic moments from this episode? I mean, so many great lines. So many great lines. The episode starts with Elliot saying that the Rhineman Ultra sounds like a not-so-great beer, which is just a delightful line. It's very, very good. <laughs> he also says that he wants them all to take the thrones. He says, slather yourself in ceremony. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just the most Elliot way of saying that. And then just his, like, when he runs away, when he's on the, the when he curse, has the curse, it's just so good. Well, and before that, when it's, like, introducing the curse, as he's getting paranoid, he, like, laughs way longer than he mm-hmm. should. And it's just so great. Yes. All of them are so funny on or, you know, with the curse. Uh, Margot, you're acting like this is your first regicide. Exactly, right? Uh, and I think Alice says, are we still hostages or what? Yeah. <laughs> like, just very, very good. And the final needle fight of them all, like with the needles oh trying God. to kill each other. It's so funny. And then Quentin comes in with the crossbow before that. I think, of course, he found a crossbow. He did. Yeah, right. But Penny's the one who can actually use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So and of course, Elliot, as he's trying to find a way to kill the others, he goes to the map maker, Benedict, yes. and says, What I need is a dagger. A stiletto, really. <laughs> of course he would want to kill Others with a stiletto. Oh, it's just <laughs> too good. <laughs> yeah, it shows both, you know, Elliot's Elliotness, but mm. also the fact that he knows what a stiletto is. He knows that kind of dagger, oh. mm-hmm. like, is just perfect. But, like, so it's the dagger, but also a high heel is called a stiletto. Right, of course. So it's, it's the bow. Yes. <laughs> it's just too good. <laughs> and I also like as they're interacting with each other while they're under the curse, Penny is explaining, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to kill you. We're going to be rid of the curse and we're going to jumpstart you. And uh, Elliot's like, no likey. <laughs> and Quentin returns, what's to likey? And it's just think. It's yeah, it's all excellent. Yeah, really, really great comedic writing mm-hmm. in that in that moment. Yeah, and then the other magic moment that I had was I think this might be the first time, maybe we've seen it before, but the first time I really took notice of the ward spells that Marina puts up, mm. and just the design of them is so so cool. Mm. Uh, it is something I remembered from our first watch through because yeah, it's just something that I think looks really cool and 
works well with the signs that they do for the spell, where when they kind of do the final, almost like zipping, Mm. the wards kind of come into place and it just, yeah, I think it looks really cool. Totally. And uh, it's really interesting. It shows how powerful Marina is Mm -hmm. because Reynard says that her wards were deceptively complex. Mm -hmm. And so like it even took him a little to get through. But then I think it also is a great way to show when Martin comes there, it takes him a while to get through them, which means, I mean, and this is Martin. He can just teleport places. He can kill them all 39 times, you Mm -hmm. know, without breaking a sweat. So it shows how powerful Marina is, but it also shows the disparity in power that Reynard and Martin have Mm. because sure he's like oh these were deceptively complex but he's right there you Mm -hmm. know and and Martin it it took him a bit to unravel them yeah yeah and just the the way they look even in the background of the scenes when they're up I think is like Mm. just a really cool detail I think is a good use of kind of subtle special effects totally yeah did you have any other magic moments well, there's the magic moment of the royal defecation. I mean, of the, course. The godly defecation. Yes. Because... The divine defecation. The divine elimination. Yes. Because just the way it's like Ember's finally fed up and he's like, well, I'm just going to do this. Mm-hmm. This is the last time, you know, this is how he's going to go out <laughs> with his last prank on the beast, mm-hmm. you know. And then he, how he addresses him, greetings, all powerful Martin. You know, he's like, he's so sarcastic, but also like quippy and all of his ridiculous, I've befouled the wellspring. I've left my leavings. Mm -hmm. There's a godly floater. (laughs) It's just like, I really should be going, although I technically already went. Like, he's just. It's just so delightful it's and ridiculous. This wonderful mix of like archaic language, mm-hmm. uh, like to befoul something, yeah. <laughs> uh, and elementary school potty humor. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and the fact that Ember is so delighted to say these things, mm-hmm. but then is like, oh, I have to be going, and just like leaves because he doesn't actually want the wrath of Martin. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's excellent because Ember is going to risk his life on these ways of saying uh, his euphemisms for his own defecation is just excellent. Totally. (laughs) And then the last magic moment that I was really thinking about in this episode is at that very end showdown between Martin and Alice. And then once Alice becomes the Niffin how much the others are all like really caring for each other Mm. and protecting each other because she automatically turns back to Quentin after she destroys Martin and Elliot yells to like save him. But then Elliot gets kind of in front of Margot, like, well, if we're going to die, I'm going to try to protect her. But then Quentin gets Alice's attention back and uses his Keiko demon to attack her in order to save Elliot and Margot. And so it's just like this really, like they're all trying to save each other uh, as now they're fighting one of their own team. And the last scene in, in Fillory as Quentin is crying over Alice's body, Elliot's just holding him. And it's just like, I don't know, it was just really sweet to see how much that they care about each other, even in the midst of these really extreme circumstances and the shock of even what's going on. Absolutely. And such a contrast to the first half of the episode when they were all trying to kill each other. Yeah. (laughs) And now they did commit regicide in a way. And... Mm. killed one of their fellow monarchs of Fillory because she was trying to kill them. And it's it's with sadness, not with this kind of tongue-in-cheek glee that we saw earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But why don't we go into our next section, which is setting in society. What were you thinking about? I was once again thinking a lot about the gods that we see in the episode. You mentioned how Ember befouls the wellspring. <laughs> and... He does this and and represents it as a way of kind of 
sticking it to Martin, but it also shows the carelessness that Ember has for Fillory. Mm-hmm. Because already Fillory is suffering by the draining of the wellspring, and we can just imagine what this is going to cause in the future. And mm-hmm. he's gleeful about it. They make a comment that he has to leave Fillory, and so it came off to me as very much he's like, well, I'm leaving here, so why does it matter if Fillory's still around? Mm-hmm. And it just really, really highlights the extent to which Ember doesn't care. Ember is selfish, and Ember is not a loving god. He's not a god who cares over Fillory for its sake. He cares over it for his own sake because he wants to be worshipped because he's tied to it in certain ways. But when those ties are broken, he has no actual care for it or the people who live there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he doesn't seem to think about the consequences for anyone else as much as it's just like what he wants to do when he wants to do it. Exactly. And as long as something works out for him, these mortals, they're going to die anyway or, you know, whatever it is. Exactly. He sends Margot and Elliot back to the battle without even explaining things, without giving them another bestowal, without right. helping them in any way. Again, showing, yeah, his carelessness. Well, yeah, and he's like, oh, it's going to be a great showdown or, you know, it's mm-hmm. going to be so entertaining to watch Alice versus Martin. It's entertainment for him, not taking seriously their lives. Precisely. Yeah. And when we see that in comparison with Reynard, another god, (laughs) who also is clearly violent and selfish and, you know, has no care for those around him. I think Marina says, what are you even a god of misogyny? (laughs) You know, he, he doesn't have anything that he seems to stand for. Not to mention, you might not have much rank in Godland. Yeah. Which, uh, I think that's a a great diss, but also it brings up these questions of, are there rankings there? Mm -hmm. But even if not, Ember is one of the two gods of Fillory, and he still is like this. So, maybe Reynard is low ranking, but he could also just be a fickle, violent god, and there could be many of those kinds of gods. Mm -hmm. We certainly are seeing the world filled with them. And I find that particularly fascinating and tragic in contrast with the prayer that Marina gives to summon the god, uh, which Marina's insincere summons is delightful. (laughs) It's just wonderful to see. But the words of it are really, really intimate. They say, I seek to know you, Divine Mother, to gaze upon you, to hear your voice, to feel the beating heart of you. And that's just such intimate language. Mm. It is the kind of language that one could say to a lover, to someone who, you know, you are not only gazing upon and worshiping, but also to feel their beating heart requires a real amount of closeness. and. For that to be the summons for a god, and then the gods that we actually see having no connection to their followers or anyone else, I think is, yeah, just really, really tragic in how this world is made up and how the gods in it act with them. Mm-hmm. It's very Grecian. Um, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. In saying that gods, yeah, are fickle and violent and do what they want but with that power. Exactly. We already knew that Reynard is horrible. Mm-hmm. And then what he does to Reyna's cat, I cannot. Yeah. I love cats so much. You? Love my own cat so much. My first word was four kitties. <laughs> and it's just so horrific and i think it really does also show a difference between martin and him because martin we see well as he's possessing mike kill that bunny to Mm -hmm. get the the knife out of it which is also really sad but there was a purpose there it was like I'm killing this to get this thing out of it. Mm-hmm. It's sadly this living packaging that I was able to get from Fillory. Versus Reynard is torturing to kill this animal just because 
of his sadistic joy that he gets from causing the cat and Marina anguish, yeah. you know? And so it's like, there are these big differences, you know, we could say, oh, it's terrible. The beast kills all these people. It's torturing Victoria, Penny, you know, all of this, that that's true. But it is interesting to see that there's still part of the humanity that Martin has maintained that he didn't just wipe out every person in Fillory. Mm -hmm. Could he have? Sure. But like there's, you know, all of these people that are still alive. Sure. Are a lot of the people suffering because draining the wellspring has caused their crops to fail? Yes. But I think that Martin's aims are very different. It's not that he cares for a lot of people. I mean, I think he cares for Julia as, as Mm -hmm. we've talked about, but he doesn't have the same disregard. I think that, Ember and Reynard are showing. Martin had a very specific aim of what he wanted so that he could feel safe after everything that's happened to him and so that he could have control over this place that was his safe haven. Yeah. Yeah, he still has a lot of care and love for Fillory. Sure, it is in a way of wanting control over it Mm -hmm. and power within it, but it still exists in a way that doesn't exist for Ember. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, what other elements of setting society did you want to talk about? I mean, they had one, which I found very interesting this time around, is that when they're under the the regicide curse, this sexism comes out of Margot Mm. as she's under this curse. Things like she wants to kill her enemies and hear the lamentations of their women, that sort of stuff. Like, the sexism is coming out. And when we look at the other people who were affected by this curse, you know, Alice, she gets almost playful about wanting to kill people. Mm. And Quentin, yeah, of course, grabs that crossbow. Elliot stays pretty much Elliot. (laughs) So it seems like it's this curse isn't completely changing their personality. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's safe to say that this sexism is partially embedded in Margot and how she thinks about things and and her aim almost seems like proving the sexism wrong is kind of fueling her Mm. that she wants to be all of the others she wants to be the last one standing in a way I mean all of them are like trying to kill each other but like hers just is in a very particular way and she's phrasing these things in very particular ways so for me I was thinking about her having been socialized in a society that tells women that they're lesser than men and that there is joy to be had and satisfaction for women to beat men, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it's like on this path towards feminism, but women can beat men, you Mm. know? It's like that's still a problematic stage to be in, that that that's not the point. (laughs) It's kind of this situation that we do see in society where working towards feminism hasn't like found its way outside of the paradigm of sexism Mm -hmm. and so i think that that's a bit where margot is internally in some ways because these things are coming out of her now yeah absolutely that is really fascinating and particularly when you think about it in relation to her gender performance which tends to be quite feminine Mm -hmm. you know she likes pink and fashion and is also really confident and comfortable showing off her body. And so, yeah, in some ways she has agency and control and, like, power over her own body and her herself in the ways that we've talked about. But yeah, then... and she'll call out her ex for making this sex doll of her. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But then she also utilizes many of those tropes and almost seems to, when she confronts men at times, confront them in what could be seen as a masculine way, or what she might perform as a masculine way. Mm. And so, yeah, I think that that's something to definitely keep an eye on with Margot, especially considering some of the things I remember of of what happens with her uh, in the future. Yeah, absolutely. A a really, really interesting point. Yeah, and and I think it's it's a really important one, too, because when you're socialized in a specific way to think in sexist ways, in a whole host of different areas that, that the world tells you, right? Mm-hmm. 
even as you fight against that, even as you change your thinking on that, it doesn't just eradicate everything from you. And it doesn't make women or, or people who are raised as women just feel in every moment of every day that everything's equal, but I mean, it's not equal, right? And totally. so you still have to live under the inequalities that pervade society as well as fight against that in yourself. Yeah, yeah. And of course, I love how we engage with the material on its own terms, what we see Margot do, say, her performance, etc., but also there is an extra layer of she is being written, she mm-hmm. is being performed, she is being wardrobed, right? All these things are choices that teams of people are making, and the character itself doesn't have agency over those elements. And so, you know, what we think about when we think about society, Margot at times definitely highlights some problematic representations of women Mm -hmm. um, and ways that quote-unquote powerful women are often represented. But I think that she at least complicates those in ways that many other characters do not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, there's also a thing for... Not that it seemed like Quentin was actually very bothered by her being like, oh, you're like a girl or whatever. Mm -hmm. It could just be like, oh, it bothers men when you say these things. Absolutely. So this is goading them, even though I don't believe them, but it's still playing into their own sexism, you know, so yeah, it gets uh, complicated. Totally. (laughs) But why don't we move on? So normally we have the section themes and schemes, but since this is kind of the end of this arc in, in a way... And so much action and stuff was happening. We didn't find a lot of new themes or schemes we really want to talk about. But we had a lot of character POVs that we wanted to talk about. So we're just going to kind of extend that from another POV section this yeah. time. Why don't we start out? I believe you want to start with Penny. Of course. I mean, of course. I've missed him. As we all have. Yeah, I, I can just so sense and relate to Penny's frustration (laughs) in this episode as he already has been dealing with, like we talked about in the past, his hands and his body working against him Mm -hmm. and how frustrating and awful that must be. And then at the beginning of the episode, he is ready to have the fight, to get going, and then everyone else is so worried about the thrones mm-hmm. and the royalty aspects, you know, and he he says he doesn't care that he's not king. He just wants to do what they're supposed to be doing while they are still able to. I feel so bad for him because they're wanting to play around on the thrones is what leads them to getting that curse. Mm-hmm. And then he has to spend half of the episode <laughs> dealing with that and Mm -hmm. trying to corral them. And, you know, we talked about how their characterization shows some elements of their characters, but also don't seem to be taking it very seriously, even as they're trying to kill each other. So he's the only one who's taking it seriously. It reminds me of, like, watching a bunch of kids or being in a place where you're just surrounded by immature people and you're the only one who actually is trying to keep things together. He's... Having to babysit homicidal acquaintances. Exactly. Not what he wants to be dealing with now. I mean, it makes sense from Elliot's point of view, because we know that time moves differently. When Mm -hmm. Penny was in the Netherlands, he was gone on Earth for like six weeks, and it was only six hours for him. Yeah. And so who knows how long it's been for Elliot. I mean... It's had time for their crops to actually start growing. Mm-hmm. So this is weeks at the very, at the very least, least yeah. if not months. And so it's like, well, the beast hasn't popped in to kill us yet. And I did all this work. Come, you know, like he's just happy to see his friends again mm-hmm. as he's been so isolated and trying to figure out all of these new things in Fillory. But from Penny's point of view, it's like, my hands are actually not attacking me now. Like, we need me to be able to pop in, get the beast, and 
at any moment, this whole very thin plan could fall apart. Mm -hmm. And is this really how we should be spending our time? Exactly. And it wasn't. Yeah, I just, I think it, it also highlights the extent to which Penny knows his friends because he's so easily able to see them all acting weird, except for Margot, because she's just a very good actor. Yeah. <laughs> Margot's always a little extra in yeah, this way. exactly. <laughs> yeah, just, he's like, what happened to you? It just happened to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he's, he's very perceptive. And then, of course, he saves Quentin once again mm-hmm. from Margot's Keiko demon. If Penny was not around, Quentin would have been dead so many times by now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, he, he just his frustration. Why I think he says, if you don't like it, some find someone else to save you. <laughs> because they're just complaining to him as he's trying to explain this plan of killing them and bring them back. And like Yeah, and he has to come up with the plan of how to kill them and bring them back. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and Fen's the only one there to help him out. And go rob a hospital or whatever. <laughs> exactly. It's like... <laughs> yeah. Oh, Penny. Oh, Penny. And then at the end, when Julia rips his chains off... Mm-hmm. I can only imagine how pissed off he would be in that mm-hmm. moment. He already had lost one. He already had his hands no longer as in control as they had been when he first got them on. And then when she does that, he immediately starts teleporting all over the place. Something that we've never seen him do before. Yeah. So the hand Hurting curse. Himself yeah. Into the bench, into, you know, trees or, you know, whatever. It's making his other magical powers go haywire and other elements of his body and his control over himself be lost. And yeah, that just must be so sad and hurtful and confusing particularly when at the same time he doesn't know what's happened Mm -hmm. he doesn't know if they've succeeded at tracking down martin and killing him or if martin has killed them you know i can just imagine him not only frustrated because he is the only one trying to get the confrontation to occur but he also is arguably the one who's most traumatized before the confrontation to begin with. Mm. He's the one who lost his hands last time, which is still affecting him. He is the one who Martin was in his mind throughout most of his life mm-hmm. and who has the most close connection with him and who is so betrayed by him. You know, the, the fight with Martin in many ways means more to Penny than it does to anyone else. And because of his traveling, because of Julia's actions, is on the sideline and unable to do anything to help or to even know what's going on. Yet before that, he was the one who had to bring his only childhood constant friend to be killed. Exactly. So yeah, I I can just see how Penny is like fed up in a way where I could just imagine him really reaching a breaking point or coming near it with all the things that he has to do and that he feels like he is alone in trying to get done and how already just on a basic level, how overwhelming it would be for him. And then for him to not have the support of people around him and to, again, not have control over his own body. It just must be so, so awful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like I was mentioning at the beginning of the episode, how so many of them are are trying to protect each other and save each other. In the end, Penny doesn't have that support. Mm -hmm. He's not really friends with them. Like, he is to the degree that he's been spending so much time with them and he's saved them and he's been planning with them. And probably for Penny, this is as close as friends get, except for, like, Katie. But... Yeah, he, he's he's very isolated while being the most important magical part of mm-hmm. all of this to be able to succeed. Yeah, is nobody's even helping him with his hands. And for several episodes now, he's the one who's trying to hold the whole group together and get the plan done yeah. and get them through the Netherlands. And you know, all of these things that only he knows how to do or only he has the ability to do. And yeah, in the end, he is left 
not even in a state of where he is, mm-hmm. but in a state of being hurt constantly as he is here and not here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Penny. Oh, Penny. Our unlucky Penny. We love you. But the other perspective that I was thinking about is Alice's. Definitely. You know, starting with the second half of the episode, starting when she misses with her spell because Quentin breaks it. You know, she says that she's pissed that she missed. And I wonder if there's an element of her being pissed in particular because Quentin had her miss to save Julia. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Alice would have wanted to kill Julia, but seeing Quentin risk all of their lives for Julia when she, you know, when they were together already had a lot of jealousy over her mm-hmm. and frustration with Quentin's inability to distance himself for his feelings from Julia. You know, I could just imagine that that would be something that's going on in her head as well. Mm-hmm. But I still think that would be something small, something additional on top of all of the frustration she already has with having missed because she's a perfectionist and she doesn't like messing up on things, losing access to the power of Ember and what that means for their plan, what that means for what she's going to be able to do, and her determination to just keep fighting, which we certainly see really define her in this episode. I think the carriage ride between her and Quentin is also a moment that I really, really felt for Alice. Oh my god, yeah. I've complained about Alice a lot, but here I'm like, oh, poor Alice. Yeah. Like, this is so, I'm so frustrated on her behalf. Exactly. And I love how she calls Quentin out. You know, she says, you've trapped me in here and you're making me deal with all this emotional stuff. Because this is not a conversation that she is ready to have or that she wants to have, but he keeps forcing it. Yeah. And she's like, all I can handle right now is an ice cream sundae. Exactly. And and the way that he, whether consciously or not, manipulates the situation, because at first he's like, oh, I'm just like asking this question. What do you want to do after? Like as a distraction, Mm -hmm. as we're on this chariot ride to Martin. And she's like, okay, I'm going to try to Instead of just sit here in my anxiety and the pressure I'm feeling and the fear that maybe I'm going to my death because I'm not strong enough and this spell takes a while to power up and, you know, like, maybe it's just not going to work and yeah. I'm going to my death. But, okay, I'll, I'll I'll humor you. I'll try to play into this. Maybe it'll help as a distraction thinking about ice cream and what I want on my Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, I'm going to try to win you back. And it's just... What are you doing? This is so unfair to her. And she's like, I'm not a prize to be won. Exactly. You can't win me back and just like lose me like your keys. You know, he made choices. It's just bringing up this pressure for her to reciprocate feelings Mm -hmm. or not hurt him or bring her back to why she's angry and hurt by him in the first place and it's just like she can't handle that right now all she can handle is the ice cream sundae and he's dumping all of this on her yeah you're absolutely right that he's being manipulative because it's also like the stakes of it being possibly the last conversation they'll have Mm -hmm. puts more pressure on her to be kinder but that means that she then has to perform for him when she's Mm -hmm. already in turmoil she's already in pain she's already gonna be saving her his life if this works yeah but yeah now he's asking for more from her and he just kisses her yeah Ugh, it's just so not okay. And yes, she sent mixed signals before mm-hmm. uh, in the previous episode where she kissed him and was like, we're not getting back together and kissed him again. You know, like, yes, there are confusing things going on there. But when she's saying, I can't handle this right now, that's saying, stop this conversation and you should not be kissing her. It doesn't matter if that's what you want to do is maybe one of your last acts living that's not what she wants and that's not what she needs. Yeah. She doesn't <laughs> yell at him as much as maybe she should mm-hmm. in that moment. But, you know, she's probably trying to conserve her energy and her focus and, like, not wanting to just get in an argument. And, yeah, the kind of problematic aspect of 
if they're both going to die in a few minutes, you don't want to be angry or make someone feel bad, even if they should feel bad for what they just did. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, it's all extra. And yeah, I, I was just really feeling for her trying to not unravel and collapse in exhaustion and anxiety yeah. as, as she's going to a fight that she's not equipped for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In many ways, I think Quentin here is, is romanticizing their experiences and their position. Mm -hmm. You know, for him, possibly dying here means that he has to do something big and epic and that this is something that will be heroic and mm -hmm. that they therefore need to have their emotional conclusion beforehand and this is going to help bring her clarity and her feelings for him like it's brought him clarity but even that clarity is momentary like it has been in much of his life he still hasn't done the work to actually engage with the source of his depression and mm -hmm. his anxiety and these other kinds of things and you know, as for someone who has had suicidal ideation in the past, death can be a way of escaping those kinds of conversations. And here, it's a possible death that he gets in doing, quote unquote, the right thing, mm -hmm. being the hero. If he's going to die, at least he'll have a tragic love story as part of it. Precisely. Yeah. And so what he has to do is he has to tell her that he's going to win her back. Yes, of course, it's my fault. Look, me, the martyr, I'm going to regain your trust. And then kisses her, showing that he's only words, that his actions don't meet up with what he's saying. Well, it's what he wants and what he needs. Exactly. I have to declare my love, you know, this is what we do at the climax of movies, you mm -hmm. know. I think it's it's these narratives that we constantly see in entertainment. Absolutely. And yeah, he's he's very much falling prey to them as if saying those words are themselves a type of magic spell that solves everything. Yeah. But, well, I'm not just falling prey to them because that sounds like it's not actions he's doing, but he's perpetuating them. True. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that at the very end, this is Alice at her best when she makes the choice to niffin herself yeah you know it, it was great to see her do just very simple or simpler magic at martin yeah once the Rhineman ultra wouldn't work anymore trying anything that she has at her disposal and then she realizes what she has to do if she wants to beat him die the same death that her brother did yeah which is so tragic like this is what's actually tragic not yeah. some unfulfilled love or whatnot that she is willing to literally let magic burn her away and the way that they give her death space that it's mm -hmm. not an instantaneous thing that this is something that takes a fair amount of time for her to burn and she's screaming during it mm -hmm it really highlights the fact that she just didn't die heroically. She died painfully and tragically. Absolutely. And she knew that she was going to. She, I mean, yeah. she didn't know exactly what it would be, but she knew this is what would happen to her and that she sacrifices her life for them all. And does so, yeah, in, in such a sad way. Yeah. She pulls from her knowledge, she pulls from her experience and her memories all to the, the culmination of this sacrificial act, which, yeah, I, I think is definitely Alice at her best. Yeah, it shows her determination and commitment. She has been an indecisive character at times, but when she does decide, she commits. And mm -hmm. I think that that's something that we see right here, where... She is committed to fighting this battle. She knows that it's it's on her. It's her responsibility, as we saw with the last episode. She takes that responsibility on even to the end, even to her end. And uh, then we see Niffin Alice, who has lost her care for those around her. That in of itself is its own tragedy. Mm -hmm. That, yes, she was able to defeat the beast and protect her friends, but she then wanted to kill them. She lost so much of herself in that. Yeah, 
it's it's very sad but i think powerful storytelling absolutely and it brings it to again just completely dismantling the quentin as the hero of this story idea yeah because in the end for defeating martin it was julia and alice that really made the difference yeah well, did you have other perspectives you wanted to talk about? I did. What? Two, two other dead characters okay. now. One is Marina and one is Martin. With Marina, I was just feeling so bad for her, too. Absolutely. Like, she has agreed to be bait in this way because she knows that Reynard eventually is going to kill her and the people in her hedge if, if they don't try to destroy him and... This seems like their best chance, even though she doesn't like it. Yeah, she continually does not trust Martin. Mm-hmm. You know, her instincts tell her that he is not to be trusted. And she's right. Yeah. Yeah, and she's looking out for Julia as well, mm-hmm. saying that, sure, word is bond is hard to break, but if anyone could do it, it's someone who can freeze a god. And yet... They don't have another better plan, and this is the plan that Martin's agreed to and that Julia set on. So she participates, and and she said, I have survived this long by my instincts, which I think is a really big statement considering how advanced her magic is, that, that even this god commented on. And there's no other path that she can see because, as we talked about before, this other powerful hedge is dead. Breakbills has turned their back on her. Mm-hmm. So she goes against her instincts and is left alone as she summons this raping, murderous god. And along the way, she is a very her with statements like oh so i'm praying to this benevolent mommy who will solve all our problems with her gaia power (laughs) like so great but i think it also shows a very specific insight into her thoughts and the way that she operates in the world is that no benevolent people are gonna help me or like gods or powers or whatever that are just gonna solve my problems she is experienced in pain and hedge turf wars and you know all of these different things and it's like if there was a god out there that was benevolent they haven't been helping me with my problems you know so yeah it's just it's very interesting to show a contrast to what julie was able to believe uh through the support of this other community and people who are all working for a common cause to have magic that would help heal and things like that and marina is just so cut off from any sort of imagining of of that as a reality mm-hmm. then once reynard shows up she's clearly terrified yeah Yet she's playing up that she's not in such humorous, biting ways. Yes. Of, oh, are you trying to hurt my feelings? And the best you can come up with is that I don't have a man. <laughs> <laughs> Later, she's like, oh, sorry, I wasn't paying attention. I fell asleep for a bit. <laughs> like, it's just, she's so funny. And, you know, yeah, like attacking him with her words in what I think is stalling in the hopes that Martin and Julia will show up. Or she Uh, can get out another way. Yeah. yeah. You know, she tried to use magic behind her back, Mm -hmm. but he stopped that. So she's putting on, you know, she's, yeah, she's putting on this performance that she's not scared of him, but she's terrified of torture and rape and death from this God in the midst of grief over her cat. Because Reynard was saying, maybe you don't care about anyone, but people with their cats, you know, (laughs) it's like, oh, but this other companion that you have, you care about that. So I'm going to destroy it in front of you in this excruciating way. And she's just like, don't be stupid. She's just a dumb cat. Put her down. But like, she betrays herself in trying to get him to not hurt 
this animal that she loves. Yeah. And and so in the midst of being so afraid of him and seeing this horrific thing that he does to her companion, she's dealing with that grief too in the midst of the fear that she yeah. feels and the, the helplessness. Yeah, her, her the way that her emotions come out when he turns his back on her mm-hmm. to get the cat is just amazing performance. You know, you can so clearly see her fear for the cat and for herself that she had been hiding mm-hmm. come out. Uh, as, and it's almost like she's taking a breath in allowing it to come out and getting ready to bring her facade back up mm-hmm. once he turns. Yeah. It's showing a lot of Marina's strength and character. But then I love that when, I mean, I hate, when he bites one of her fingers off, it breaks, yeah. you know, like from that pain and suffering, she can't hold the, oh, this doesn't bother me. Yeah. She can't. It's a physical response to this pain and the psychological terror of it. And then, you know, he's going to do the same for one of her toes, you know, and, and she she can't hold the unbothered yeah oh i almost fell asleep you know she like she can't hold it anymore and then when they finally get in and freeze him she spits on his face while he's frozen and i think that that shows so much disgust disdain hatred she has for this person this god and what he just did to her cat as well as her and she just wants him to be killed. Yeah, it's it's just so sad to know that she was tortured and killed. Going against her instincts because she had no one else that could help her. Yeah, absolutely. Or that would help her. Absolutely. Yeah, a really, really excellent antagonist for the series who will certainly be missed. I know. <laughs> I didn't get to say this during, but... When Reynard even says that she wears her cynicism so stylishly, mm. it is a really great summation of her character. Yeah, she's cynical and she is abrasive and she pulls that off all with style. <laughs> this is why we love her. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, totally. And then the last person I really want to talk about is just Martin because mm. this is the end of Martin. You know, this is his death. And as terrible as he could be, or the terrible things that we know that he's done, you know, I'm sad to see him go. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I, I wish we could have more time with you. And, and not that he would change, but maybe things didn't have to end this way. Maybe through his relationship with Julia, he could have chosen to do something differently. It's just so interesting to see someone that we've seen in control and amused at things and the singing and dancing as he's going to kill some of them, you know, Mm -hmm. just like he's always been in so much control and power. And then to see him beg Alice, plead with her that she doesn't have to kill him. And even before that, before Alice turned into Niffin, I... I'm just like, oh no, it's sad. Like, you know, she was being mean to him Mm -hmm. in the the words she was using. And I don't know if that was like a way for her to, you know, summon the anger at him to do this magic. I'm not really sure, but poking at him of like, you're just a scared little boy and you don't even have any magical ability yourself. So you had to take it and, you know, things that maybe are difficult for him mm-hmm. or, or maybe have truth in them. Um, maybe things that he's hated about himself for all of these years that he didn't have the magic ability to escape his torturer. He didn't have the ability to get into Fillory when it wanted to close to him, except when they left the door open. Yeah. Uh, he had to sneak in instead of being wanted and accepted and, and safe there. And in a place where this is your safe space away from your rapist, for that to close its doors to you, yeah, it makes sense for him him to not trust 
that he can just stay here. Yeah. That's why he has to get the button. He has to get the Netherlands. He has to make it so that he controls the entrances and exits to Fillory because he doesn't trust that Fillory will be for him. Exactly. And to feel in his last moments like somebody is speaking down to him and poking at things that maybe he hates about himself. Yeah, I think it's just really sad. And I think that there's this really interesting kind of allegorical example of what happens to Alice and what he had described himself, saying that feeling like the pain will burn everything in you away, like mm. it, that, that it'll burn you away. The pain being that severe and then having that visual and audio of her screaming yeah. as this is being burned away and thinking about like that's the emotional pain that he's felt for so long that led him to make these choices mm -hmm. yeah and i still have so many questions about what his goals are and what he wants and why he likes julia and all these other kinds of things that losing him when that plot line hasn't been finished is uh its own loss narratively mm-hmm mm -hmm. yeah yeah and yeah it's a, it's just really sad that he probably hasn't felt actual fear in a really long time mm -hmm. and this is what he feels in the end yeah yeah again not that he hasn't done terrible things <laughs> we don't excuse him for those things yet how the storyline is written and how the actor portrays things and um, what we know about his horrific experiences in his past. And yeah, it, it still does feel like a sad death. Yeah, exactly. Well, going from that sad moment, why don't we go back up as we talk about and end this episode, revisiting the title divine elimination such a great title <laughs> this is the height of their titles yeah, yeah. for me like it's just like this is what i've been wanting when we criticize other titles because you can do this <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so good because obviously you know ember mm -hmm. things that he says make good titles as we saw with have you brought me little cakes <laughs> yes but the use of that when it's also a episode where we see those deaths, I think, mm -hmm. is just chef's kiss. Very good. Julia's whole aim is to kill Reynard yep. here. And so, yeah, it's like divine elimination in so many different ways. The hilarious pun, but also, yeah, all of these deaths of super-powered beings. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, that will wrap up this episode's discussion. So what's happening next time on The Magicians? So we're going to be watching episode number four, The Flying Forest, where Penny and Quentin get some non-quality time together, as they do. As they do, yes. <laughs> all right, well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And we hope that you'll join us on Patreon so that you can help support the show and be involved with our monthly meetups. Yeah, we're super looking forward to the one this weekend. We want to thank Kimberly Kuniko at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com, Instagram, or Patreon. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.